Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday again. Another week. We're heading into June. How is that possible? I don't know. But for new listeners who haven't been here before, I'm your host, Lisa Kessler, and I write paranormal romances. And I just had my first thriller out under L.A. Kessler, so look for Perfect out there now. And today, it's really fun. Once a week, we do book lights and interview authors from all different genres, from all over the world. It is so much fun for me to be able to do this for Reader's Entertainment Radio. And today, you're going to get to meet a fantasy author from Canada. His name is Richard H. Stevens, and if you haven't read him before, you're in for a treat. I'm going to read his um, bio here so you can get to know him, and then we'll get on with the interview. So Richard H. Stevens lives in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada, with his wife and five children. He began writing as a child, culminating in a 600-page novel about outer space that caught the attention of a special teacher who encouraged him to keep writing. After a 30-year detour, Richard retired from the police force and is now writing full-time. With the support of his family, he's now living his boyhood dream. How cool is that? His own hero's journey. Right. Um, you can learn more about Richard on his website. I did put a link to the website right there on Blog Talk. So if you're listening live or if you're listening later, go ahead and click that anytime to find out more about his books, sign up for his newsletter. He's got a blog over there, too. So go check it out. His covers are gorgeous. So go take a look at that, especially if you're into high fantasy. There's a lot of great artwork over there. So, with no more delay, Richard, are you there? I am. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me on your show today. Hi. Thanks for coming on today. So, you have uh, a bunch of fantasy books out there, but your newest one is Dragon Sect. Do you want to tell everybody about that and why they should go grab it this week? Yeah, no, that's correct. Uh, Dragon Sect is book two in the High Cliff Guardian series, and it uh, continues the story of the rise of an elf queen. So, when I was writing a earlier uh, trilogy, I normally write my books in trilogies, an earlier series called Legends of the Lurker, but halfway through book two, Rika's Gift, uh, one of the characters in passing mentions this 700-year-old elf queen, and right then I wanted to stop writing Legends of the Lurker and write the story of the rise of that elf queen. And <clears throat> I didn't, uh, I did not, I, I finished that series, and uh, since then I've gone back to write the High Cliff Guardians, and it actually takes place uh, 700 years before the Legends of the Lurker. And it's all about uh, a spoiled princess who, in my world, uh, it's in the elven kingdoms, the female ascends the throne. In the main kingdoms, it's still the male that ascends the throne. And uh, there's uh, Queen Kay discovers a plot to assassinate her daughter, who is the only living heir to the Willow Throne. And she doesn't think that her home guard are up to the task of protecting the princess from the threat that she perceives. So she goes and speaks with the Fae, and the Fae to kind of direct her to maybe exile Odling to a dragon colony, thinking that dragons are the only ones that are strong enough to keep the princess safe until she comes of age. So that book two is uh, called Dragon Sect, and uh, it just continues the story of the rise of the South Queen. And do people need to read them in order, it sounds like, or could they jump into Dragon Sect and not be lost? 
you could probably jump into Dragon's Tech. I think to, to get a full experience of uh, the series, you should jump in with Keeper the Jewel. That way you see everything that's happened to get uh, Princess Odling to where she is when you first meet her in Dragon's Deck. So I would, for me as a reader, I would want to read Keeper the Jewel first for sure. Okay. And you said there's going to be four books in the series? That's correct. I, like I say, I normally write my books in trilogies. And uh, I also include uh, interior artwork in my books. I, I put about four or five pictures in each book just to, I, I always believe that it gives the reader a much more intimate experience when they're reading the book, when you can actually read the text in it until it actually hits the picture that you're looking at at the same time. And it's like you say, a picture is worth a thousand words. That's a thousand words I don't need to write. Like you can see my characters the way I see them. <laughs> and and to me, that that's uh, that's very important. I, I love my readers to see the characters I envision because I think they're amazing. And uh, I want the, my readers to think they're amazing as well. So I include interior pictures in there. And Keep the Jewel was never supposed to happen. Uh, it was an interior picture that I saw online. There's just a, one of those groups on Facebook, and they sell pre-made covers. And I uh, talked to the artist and asked her if I could use that as an interior picture. And she said, absolutely not. She would not sell it to me. What? She wouldn't make money on that picture because she said it's too good for an interior picture. I said, fair enough, it's your picture. So I, I let her go, and I thought about it, and it just ruminated in my head for about a week. And all of a sudden, I had a 600-page novel that took place uh, just a couple of years before Dragon's Act. And I'm thinking, you know what? That is perfect. It actually it started <laughs> the story needed to start. And had I not seen that picture, the story would have started probably where Dragon's Act starts. And it still would have been a great story, I think. But I think it would have lost uh, some of the magic that Keeper the Jewel gives it. I love that. Sometimes you're just where you're meant to be, you know? Yes, it, it totally flew. I, I certainly hadn't planned that. And I'm, I'm a cancer writer or a discovery writer, depending on how you want to call it. So I always, I generally know the beginning. I just sit down and start writing the beginning and it just flows. And I always know where I'm going to go at the ending, but I never know how I'm going to get there. So it's like I'm sitting down to watch a movie in the theaters for the first time when I'm writing my books. I have no idea what's going to happen. So uh, it's, it's, my characters are totally surprised me all the time as I, as I move forward through the books. And uh, yeah, so when I, when that I thing pops that. into my head, yeah. <laughs> It's fun. It's actually a fun way to write because now I'm not pegged into a corner thinking, well, I've got to hit this point, I've got to hit the spot, I've got to hit this point. My character discovers the world and everything that happens to them through their eyes. And a lot of times they do some bizarre things that I had never planned on. And sometimes it does change the outcome. Yeah, I, I'm that way as well. My writing process, typically, I know the beginning and the ending, and I don't know how I'm going to get there. But when mm -hmm. I read reviews where they go, oh, a trademark Lisa Kessler twist, I always think no one was more surprised by that twist than me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. In my very first series, The Jewel for uh, I this one I started when writing when I was 17. I started writing this book called Soul Forge, and I always knew the ending. I knew it was a trilogy, and I knew what the ending was. I had no idea what book two was going to be about. I had, it was just a total blank for 35 years. I always knew the ending. And then in uh, 2017, I started in 1982. In 2017, when I finally finished Soul Forge, uh, something happened, and I, I, oh, bang, I knew what book two was all about. So I wrote book two. And then the end of 2018, I started writing book three. And halfway through book three, one of my main characters does something totally bizarre that just threw that ending right out the window. So for 35 years, I knew I was going to end. And the ending oh, was totally no. gone. Yeah. Which was actually which was actually prophetic because had it that not happened, I was only gonna write three books. A dragon came in the story. There was never supposed to be a dragon in my stories. 
And when that character did that, all of a sudden a dragon came in my story and it just opened up the whole Soul Forge universe. And now there's dragons all over the place. I invite readers to name my dragons. I've got dragons all over my house. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was quite something. The dragons were meant to be. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. In 1982, I, I remember sitting down in front of my typewriter. I was 17 years old. I'm thinking, I do not want to write what everyone else writes. Everyone writes about dragons and elves and dwarves. And I go, oh, my God, how boring. But all of a sudden, uh, that happened to me. And uh, a dragon came in my story. And it, all of a sudden, now there's elves and dwarves. And I just absolutely love it. And that's maybe is my frame of mind as I'm older. But uh, I can see why they're so uh, popular tropes. Because everyone loves them. And now my books are just riddled with them. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, too, about the Soul Forge. So you, it appeared from Amazon, you have a bunch of different series, and then they're all part of the same, are they all part of the same universe, the Soul Forge universe? They are. The Soul Forge saga is the one that I started when I was 17, and everything's come out because, uh, because of what happened in the lore that I wrote, especially in book two, Wizard of the North. But it's like Star Wars came out in 77, where you know, A New Hope, and then Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. All of a sudden, everyone loved the story, but they wanted to know how it got to there. How did Darth Vader come to be and all that? So he started writing backwards. Maybe those were written before, and they only released it the way they did, but whatever. Uh, the fans loved it, and they wanted more. And I, I got the same with mine. As, uh, all of a sudden, I want to explain how why there's no mention of it, because in the first two and a half books, there's no mention of a dragon whatsoever. And here you've got this beast bigger than the house that breathes fire. Like, do you think someone would recall that? creature if it was in their world. So I had to explain to the reader why there's no mention of this dragon for two and a half books. And I went back and wrote The Legends of the Lurker, and it explains where the dragons went. So my whole Soulforge universe takes place over about 2,000 years, and it's the rise and the fall of the dragon. So a lot of times the dragons are prevalent, and there are times where the dragons aren't even mentioned because, like, you know, centuries have gone by since the dragon's been around, and, you know, people just move on with their lives and other things uh, they have to deal with other things, wizards or whatever, but uh, dragons aren't paramount at that point. But in the very last book, uh, a dragon does come back into the story again. And they'll so spread the ties them all together. But all my trilogies stand on their own. So my first reader is Red Soulforge, which is actually the last trilogy. And then they read Rika's Flight, which is the probably going to be the third trilogy in the series. Now we're doing High Cliff Guardians, which happens just before that. So do you all do you already know how many books are going to be in this universe, or are you just going to keep writing until you run out of ideas? I've got plans currently for about another 25 books. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Okay. It seems every time I write a book, I get two more in my head, so i got to learn to write quicker or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. So for you, who was the inspiration for the series? Obviously, it started when you were much younger, but what what was what fired you up to write this? I, it was kind of a fluke. Uh, 1982, uh, I was in grade 10, and uh, my girlfriend and I were expecting a, a baby, and so I had to quit school and go out and get a job at the age of 17. And I was sitting in my room one night listening to a local radio station and the song from Iron Maiden, Run to the Hills, came on the radio. And I had not been thinking about anything really whatsoever. And all of a sudden that song just put the Soul Ford saga in my head. 
like all of a sudden I knew was, I knew I wanted to write this trilogy of this fantasy trilogy. I'd never written fantasy before, and I knew the ending right away, and I knew who the hero was going to be, and I knew how he was going to solve it. And like I told you earlier, that uh, that didn't happen because the dragon came in the story. But the run to the hills from Iron Maiden uh, inspired it. But uh, my love of fantasy was far inspired by reading Terry Brooks' probably in about 1980-ish. Uh, I went mm-hmm. down to a bookstore, a teenager in the, the bookstore proprietor saw me at a loss of what they read and he just pulled that book out of the shelf and said, here, read this. And my love of fantasy was born. Oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. when you were, um, when you were writing it at the beginning, were you reading other fantasy books as well? Or were you, were there movies that you watched or how did you, you know, stay building your world? No, I definitely I was hooked on fantasy at that point. So I read uh, I read the whole trilogy of Sword of Shannara, uh, the Elf Stones of Shannara, and the Wish Song of Shannara. And then uh, I also uh, picked up a book by Stephen R. Donaldson called Lord Fowl's Bane. And he's got kind of a sad sack hero, but if you can get past that fact, his world building is just out of this world. Like it, it was just it, it was amazing how he lit, t- transported your mind from. You know, sitting in the chair in bed or wherever you are reading the book into his world and the characters that he had, they were so eclectic and they just, you were just engrossed in it. Like you just couldn't stop, not stop reading his series. So I would say uh, Stephen R. Donaldson also had a profound effect on me. And I also picked up a book uh, by Michael Moorcock. And if you're into fantasy, he's a very famous old writer. I don't even know if Michael's around anymore, but uh He's got some amazing stories out there, and they're real short ones. When you think of epic fantasy, you think of Brandon Sanderson's uh, anchors, those great big tomes that he writes. Uh, Michael Moorcock writes these little short ones that are just fast-paced, and they just hit you. bang, 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 and you can't get enough of them. So those three authors are probably my my inspiration and the people that, uh, you know, got my mojo going as far as writing fantasy. I love that. And I know for fantasy readers, the world is part of the draw. Um, Mm -hmm. I I have a friend who writes fantasy and she has these drunken fairies who come through and cause (laughs) chaos and hers is obviously more lighthearted. But it's Mm -hmm. like the readers don't even really care what the next book is. They want to know if the fairies are in there. And do you have um, parts of your world that you know that readers are, that's that's what they're coming to see? You know, are there parts of your world that are unique to you that you're really proud of? I I think it's my take on it, and I struggled with this when I first started doing it, was uh, I give my dwarfs and my giants kind of a Scottish brogue. My wife is Scottish. And I pick up some mannerisms from her, and it's just the way they talk. And it just seems like more like dwarf talking when you watch Lord of the Rings. You know, the, the Gimli just sounds so much different than, you know, highbrow Legolas and the, just the regular men. And I wanted to make my the readers see my dwarfs and my giants uh, the same way, where they seem they're kind of uh, comical characters, but uh, they're very uh, tough characters. So, you know, it, it's fun to have a pint of ale with them, but you never want to get them mad at you. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd be going up the door pretty quickly. So, so I, I think so. I started writing my characters, and I've started dropping the G's on the the words. So instead of laughing, I'd be laughing, and I actually write it the way it sounds in my head. And someone told me years ago, I said, "Do not do that." They said, "You're going to get so many negative reviews." And I haven't got a, received a negative review yet, and I think the people, uh, my fans, actually love reading the text with 
the dwarves the way they speak so they can actually hear it in their mind i think it resonates with them like it's, it's almost like watching a, a outlander now i'm sure everyone's watched outlander with jamie right fraser you get his scottish and it just adds a, just a touch of magic to the story especially for uh, us readers over here on in north america where you know i i don't think i have an accent and you know the U.S. You guys have some kind of different dialects uh, where you can you can tell where you're from different parts of the states, but still, it's it's just regular English for the most part. But then you hear the the British Isles accent, and it, to me, it's it's just a magical accent. Yes, yes, it is. I I had a Scottish author on um, a few months ago, probably the very beginning of the year, and she had quite the brogue. And there were times mm-hmm. where she would say something, and I would think, "Hey, I know that's English, but I don't know what she just said." <laughs> No, exactly. My wife's Scottish, and, uh, and she reverts to her regular Scottish la- language when she's talking to her, and language is still in this, but you know what I mean, with the accents when she's talking to her parents, especially we've had a glass of wine. Sometimes it's hard for me to follow the conversation, but... Yeah, yeah, because the the brogue is is you yeah. know it's got its own rhythm and and you know you recognize it's English, but it takes a minute for your brain to translate that. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's so the, what, that, that part. And, and, and sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I've got one character too. Like I say, I never wanted to write tropes, and all of a sudden I decided I'm doing it. And I okay, I haven't got a goblin in my story. So when I started this High Cliff Guardian series, uh, you know, elves are kind of perceived as highbrow, intelligent characters who kind of look down their nose at the man. And that's probably because elves are a lot longer lived than men, so they have a lot more time to learn. And uh, you know, get more knowledge in their heads is because they live uh, you know, five, six, seven times longer than man does. But I want to add the goblin into the story. I'm like, how am I going to do that? And I don't want the goblin just to be cannon fodder. Because normally, the goblin's this disgusting little creature. He's green skinned. <laughs> right. And he's weak, and people just, you know, he's just a he's just a pesky little thing. And they generally, you know, throw them in first, and they get slaughtered by the heroes. So I want to make my goblin different. So I made him the high wizard of the elves, and. He is very intelligent. He's still this disgusting-looking little green guy, but he's very intelligent. He's very uh, snarky. He's, you know, he's cantankerous, uh, so he's very hard to talk to. And he looks down his nose at everybody, including the elves, because he thinks he's better than everybody else. But it, it's a relationship that I'm trying to, to build between the elves, who are very highbrow, and this goblin. And, of course, most of the elven wizards do not like having a goblin as uh, their head wizard, and there's a lot of interaction in the books about uh, the, the angst between the goblin himself and everyone else that he's uh, the high wizard over. So I, I think he's probably my most endearing character. Oh, I love that. And in your world, are goblins and elves related? No. Okay. No, they're different. Just like dwarves would be with giants. They, you know, they might share some similarities, but no, they uh, they certainly wouldn't admit to it anyway if they are. They haven't told me yet. But I haven't seen that in my stories. Maybe they are, uh, but I'll have to find out when I'm writing it. There's a secret bastard goblin out there. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because they. Uh, well, I don't want to spoil the story for you, but there is a relationship between a goblin and an elf. Oh. Yeah, and it makes a lot is of people. Is it forbidden? Go, I mean, my characters go, Ooh, like, how does, how does that even happen? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So it sounds like you've always been writing, but what did your writing journey look like when you decided, okay, I am going to publish this. I finished this book and I'm going to publish it. How did you go about doing that? Did you find a reader's group? Did you find an editor? Readers are always curious how that happens. Yeah, I'll try and make this brief. Uh, it was a long, drawn-out thing. I have been writing since I was nine, and but when I was writing in the step, late 70s, like there was the big five publishers, everything get published. And I had two careers and five kids, and you know they take precedence over anything I wanted to do in my spare time. So my writing was put on the shelf forever. Uh, but back in 2017, I went down to Nashville. I just figured it's time to start uh, getting serious about my writing if I ever want to get it out there. And I pitched an agent in, in Franklin. I think it's Franklin, just south of Nashville. But... Anyway, I pitched an agent down there, and they asked for my first 50 pages, and they said they'd get back to me in three months, or it's not what they want. So after four months, I tried to just send them a quick email. Is you know, is this good for you or not? No response. So Christmas time came, and this is about six months, seven months later. I figured, okay, I got to do it on my own. And just before Christmas, the agent got a hold of me and said, yeah, I want the whole book. Oh, great. And then again, with the proviso, three months or for us, so. Three months went by, four months went by, nothing. Five months went by, I figured, okay, I'll send them a couple of emails, and they never got back to me. And at that point, I'm thinking, you know, I just washed my hands of the agent. At least you could do is just say no. That's all you had to do is say no. And right. Was gone. So right. I, when I I scoured, I, I'd used a couple unprofessional editors, let's say, like cheaper editors, and they did they did an okay job, but you get what you pay for. And then uh, someone recommended this uh, editor in Scotland. Uh, and not my wife. It was just total a fluke that she's from <laughs> Scotland. And I got hooked up with her, and she was so amazing. She browbeat me into tightening my story up and getting rid of all my adjectives and, you know, all these different things that we, we fall into uh, as uh, amateur writers. And uh, she really turned my very first book into something that was sellable and something that I felt proud of printing. So uh, in August of 2018, I finally got to realize my dream and publish my first book. I love that. So do you self-publish your books? Do you have your own publishing business? Yes. I publish through Dragon Fang, Dragon Fang Press, but uh, that's mm-hmm. my own. So, yeah, so I'm the self-publisher. I, I have professional cover artists and editors. Other than that, I do everything myself. Yeah, with my Very wife, nice. sorry, I killed my wife. She, uh, she does most of my marketing. She looks after a lot of stuff in the background, so... Uh, she does all the stuff that I don't want to do, which is great because it, it frees me up to write. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm a hybrid author, so I have one series with a publisher, and I do the rest myself. And you are definitely a small business when you are self-publishing because there are so many jobs mm-hmm. and so many hats you have to wear. It's great that your wife is helping you with some of it. Well, absolutely. I, there's no way I could do that without her. And I, People ask me that, but I always attribute to, like, I'm a race car driver. So I'm the one who drives the car. I get in the car, put on a seatbelt, and then I drive down the track 500 times. I win the race, and, you know, all the praise goes to me. But without the people behind me, that car would never leave the starting line. So it, it, it's a shame that, uh, you know, your editors and the, the people like my wife who does everything in the background and their cover artists, all, they don't get much praise for what you do. I, I drove the car. I get the credit. You know, it, it's my story. But uh, without them, my car doesn't run. So I'm so thankful for my right. whole team. I love that. So what's next for you? You said there's more books in this. This is going to have four books. So what's the next book, and when can people expect it? Expect it? Yeah. 
Windwalker is book three in the Highcliffe Gardens, and it will come out in, well, my publicist probably won't allow it to release to the world until sometime this fall because it, they like to have three months from the time it's written to the time it gets released. But uh, I might have paperback copies in hand before that for uh, anyone who wants paperbacks. But uh, I, I plan to have that out uh, sometime in July this year. So officially oh, wow. it will be releasing in September, October, but uh, unofficially if someone wants to get advanced reader copies, uh, I will have them on hand <laughs> probably mid-July. <laughs> Oh, and great. then book four. And it, yes. Sorry. Does that follow the same characters that are in Dragon Sect? Absolutely. Yep. It's the same story. It's uh, it's there's uh, time intervals in between the two story in the, between all four stories actually though. So Keeper the Jewel is book one, and then there's about a two year gap as things settle down, and then Dragon Sect takes off, and no pun intended. And after <laughs> Dragon Sect, I plan of having about a 16 year gap. And that is just so I can, oh, sorry, after Windwalker, which is book three, which released in July, there's going to be about a 16-year gap or a 17-year gap, depending on how I, how old I want to make this one character. But I've got idea for this one amazing character that's going to come into the storyline, and it's going to turn Odling, who's the princess, become queen. It's going to turn her world on its head. So every all the angst and everything else she caused her mother, she's going to have a daughter who's going to do the same thing to her except tenfold. <laughs> so so everybody's always curious because we want to add things to our to watch list but do you have favorite go-to um fantasy movies or tv shows i know game of thrones was huge and now there's going to be a willow series i'm very excited about that coming on disney plus but what do, what do you like to watch that that gets you fired up to go write more fantasy i, I love the way they did uh, lord of the rings obviously game of thrones i was a they did a great job with the movies, other than I don't like how it ended, and I think I'm not alone in that. Right. Uh, no, the characters yeah. <laughs> the storyline was decent. Uh, uh, they really went away from the books after the Red Wedding and the end of book three. I, I thought they kind of started taking liberties with George R. R. Martin stuff. Uh, my favorite movies, probably, and you mentioned Willow. I, I'm not sure how I feel about Willow remaking Willow. I I don't think he can replace Mad Mardigan. I really don't. And I always thought of Mad Mardigan as the hero in the Soulport saga when I first wrote it. He would have been the perfect Slurry Mantaka. So I'm of the view that you know, if it's messed with it, and I I don't think you're ever going to capture the, the magic of Willow. Just like Star Wars, even the, the New Hope came out in 77. And, you know, it, it graphically it probably isn't as nice as the new ones that are coming out now, but it's the magic right. of that very first that was that you'll always remember, and nothing else will ever compare to A New Hope, in my mind anyway. It doesn't matter how great it is, because you know, all you remember is A New Hope, and everything's compared to that. So I don't know how they can improve on Willow. I really don't. I think they should leave something like that alone. And do High Cliff Guardians. I think that's what they should be doing, like something new. So right. you know, well, my series, or, or someone I, else's series that no one's seen before, and make that a magical experience so we can have another New Hope again. Right. Well, I'm I'm interested in the Willow because the um, trailer for it makes it sound like this is happening later. So I I don't so I don't know, but um, like a next generation Willow kind of thing. I don't know. I'm 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 very curious. <laughs> I'm not no, going to make no, any no. judgments till I see it. 
No, it's true. I, I will watch it just because I love the original Willow. So I, I'll be interested to see right. how it I just started watching Kenobi last night, and I've seen so many negative reviews on Kenobi. And again, like you're not going to capture the magic of that very first movie, and you, and if you do look for that, I think you're just spoiling the experience for you. I, I watched Kenobi last night. I enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, I, I haven't watched that yet, but I really enjoyed Mandalorian. So I'm hoping that Kenobi will be good too. Yeah, no, I enjoy all the Star Wars movies just because I'm a Star Wars geek. Are you ever going to write a sci-fi? sci-fi? In 77, just before I started writing fantasy, uh, uh, I saw Star Wars. My my father took me and dropped me off to the theater. He said, you got to see this. There's a space station the size of a moon. I thought, yeah, whatever. We went and watched it. I was so captivated by it. I wrote a 600-page science fiction novel where me and my friends went out and saved the galaxy just like, you know, and, and this <laughs> special teacher that you mentioned in, in, the, in the beginning of this, he actually modeled the Darth Vader type character after him. So he got to be the antagonist, not because he was a mean person, but I just wanted him to have this great role. And I always loved Darth Vader's role. So that special teacher became my Darth Vader. But that, that, that'll always stay in my secret library. I've got a library at home with a secret panel that opens up and I've got all my original manuscripts in there. And that <laughs> 600 page manuscript will always stay there. It'll never come, it'll never see the daylight or light of day. And the problem with me is like I say, I've got about 25, 30 fantasy books to write in this series yet, and I, I'm not a fast writer, so I don't think I'll ever write anything other than the Soul Forge universe. Okay. All right. Well, it's been great having you on. We're running out of time. Where can readers get in touch with you after they read the book and they're excited? I'd, I'd love to hear from any reader. If you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me in my email. It's Richard H. Stevens one at gmail.com. You can find me on my website, www.richardhstevens.com, and all my books are available on Amazon. I went wide a little bit last year trying to explore that market, but it didn't didn't go well for me, so I'm going back to Kindle Unlimited, so all my books are exclusive with Amazon. Unfortunately, Hoopla, which is one of the things, uh, I think it's a library system, has not released uh, delisted Rika's Flight and delisted Soulforge, so I can't release those series yet, but that's uh, in the offing in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully they'll be list those books and all my books will be available on Amazon again. Okay. Well, everybody go check, go check out Richard's books, the soul forge universe. Um, there's all kinds of books in there to read. So if you're into fantasy, you've got a treasure trove there and thanks mm-hmm. so much, Richard, for coming on. It was great having you. Thank you very much for having me, Lisa. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.